Nolan Hickman heard the complaints, he heard the criticisms, and he showed everybody exactly what kind of player he can be in a dominant, cathartic performance for the Zags on Tuesday night. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, the Zags blasted LMU in their most complete dominant performance of the season. We're going to discuss this game in at length, and we're also going to close out the show talking a little bit about Chet Holmgren, some positive updates on him, a not-so-positive update on Drew Timmy. Unfortunately, we'll get to that at the end of the show, but we got to start with this absolutely dominant performance all across the board from the Gonzaga Bulldogs, 92-58 was the final score. For those of you who were unable to watch this game, who didn't stay up late and and just saw the final result, I can tell you right now that the game was even more dominant than that final score indicates. That is not a joke. This Gonzaga team just obliterated LMU right out of the gate. There was the first 10 minutes or so, Gonzaga didn't really build a huge lead. It stayed pretty close for a while, but that was it wasn't even that Gonzaga was missing shots. They weren't getting rebounds. That was one of the few issues we had in this game. But LMU was, was unable to do anything offensively. And it was just a master class from Gonzaga on the defensive end of the floor. They had a ton of steals, ton of block shots, ton of energy. It was the best, most complete game we've seen from them all year. We'll talk good and bad stuff here in a moment. I want to talk a little bit about Dominic Harris, who, of course, made his return to the McCarthy Athletic Center as a member of LMU, averaging 15 points coming into the game, the leading uh, three-point shooter uh, in the WCC. And he just he didn't have it in this game. And, you know, you don't want to celebrate a former player having having a bad game, but certainly there was a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm coming into this game. And, and I think Dom may have... Uh, been a little bit too juiced up, perhaps. He ended up finishing with 11 points on four of 13 shooting. He was two of four from three. The majority of his points came in garbage time. He did very little in the first half. Uh, he had his first three shot attempts was a, a, a block by Nolan Hickman on the first possession of the game. Hickman swatted him out of bounds. Uh, he had a missed three-pointer. Anton Watson blocked one of his shots. Uh, he ended up getting some points in the second half, but that was kind of the big storyline that that was run with for this game coming into the game. The ESPN broadcast, Sean Farm and Dave Fleming were running with it. There was a lot of clips before the game of him interacting with former players, giving a hug to Mark Few and, and all that stuff. The crowd cheered him in a big way when he when he was introduced they booed him during the game at times that's kind of what i think you expect from a crowd i think that's kind of the for for lack of a better word right way to handle that kind of stuff is you sell you honor them at the beginning of the game you say hey we you know we love you we appreciate you you're a former zag once a zag always a zag but once you get into game action man you gotta kind of you know you gotta work them a little bit and i think that's what we saw and and dom didn't didn't have it in this game and really he was far from alone uh, on his team this was just a, a really big challenge for LMU throughout the contest. Uh, We'll start with the good news, Nolan Hickman. 
we talked a lot about this game uh, from that that Dominic Harris lens of a potential revenge game for Dom. But I think it, it kind of almost ended up being a revenge game for Nolan in a way of like most of the conversation by by Gonzaga fans on Twitter and, and social media had when Dom left, there was a lot of conversation about like, you know, should Dom have stayed over Nolan? Like a lot of the conversation about Dom, a lot of the conversation about Hunter Salas has in some way, whether directly or indirectly, been about Nolan Hickman. You know, it's been this implication that, you know, we'd be better off with this player. And and people don't necessarily say that, but that's kind of the implication. And no one went out and showed exactly what kind of basketball player he can be. Career high 24 points from him in this one. He was four of seven from three. He was 10 of 15 from the field, five assists, three boards, two steals. What was really critical for this game in terms of the takeaway that I think we can have for Gonzaga going forward is the Nolan Hickman pick and roll was ex- insanely effective. Some of that was LMU. It, honestly, it looked like they'd never defended a pick and roll before, which was very strange to see. I wasn't sure. It didn't look like Gonzaga was doing anything exceptionally unique on their pick and rolls, but LMU was really struggling with them. And I don't think that Ryan Nemhart is, is bad at pick and rolls by any stretch, but what's happening when Ryan Nemhart runs pick and rolls is the teams are going under, forcing Nemhart to shoot that three. He doesn't have the, the size uh, to, to get around guys, so he's forced to either shoot the three or reset the offense and Nolan Hickman is a little bit shiftier he's a little bit bigger he's also a better three-point shooter so if their teams are giving him the three-point shot he's going to take it and in this game early in particular Nolan Hickman's ability to get to the rim to get easy lay-ins to he had one drive in particular where he drove to the basket the big cut him off he turned he made a really nice bounce pass uh, around a defender to Graham EK which led him perfectly to an easy lay-in like those are the kind of plays that are really going to help this team because the offense has, they've struggled to find the offense in situations where the three-point shot's not falling and Grammy K is getting double teamed. They don't really know what to do. And we talked about it on a recent episode of like maybe more floaters, maybe more of this. Nolan Hickman running that pick and roll and being a little bit better at getting to the basket, finishing through that contact. And he played a great game here. He doesn't always play this well. And when he's not playing this well, Gonzaga is going to have to find other options. But this was a monster performance from him and again he got he got it off with a block shot on Dominic Harris on the first like the second possession of the game an immediate impact that he made and and the best game I've seen him play in a Gonzaga uniform uh, and and likely the best game he's ever played uh, in this uniform it was fantastic to see Uh, outside of that Gonzaga's defense just in LMU turned the ball over 20 times they looked completely out of sync multiple shot clock violations, multiple incidences of throwing the ball right to Gonzaga players. They threw the ball directly out of bounds at times. They just lost the dribble a handful of times. I mean, this team looked completely unprepared for this basketball game. And it was a huge, huge performance by Gonzaga's defense. They had 12 steals and nine blocks. Just completely shut down this LMU team. Not only did they do that, not only did they force a bunch of turnovers, frustrate LMU and keep them out of sync all game long, They were blistering hot shooting. Finished the game 59% from the field, 46.7% from three. That's seven of 15, 76.5% from the line. When you force that many turnovers, when you score that efficiently, I mean, this is a masterclass from Gonzaga. This isn't just like, oh, they finally kind of look like, you know, that team from a couple years ago. Like this is as good as that team ever looked efficiency-wise in the game. This was a huge, cathartic, much-needed, just-go-out-there-and-absolutely-blow-somebody-out type of performance. And the thing that I really loved in a game full of things that I loved 
was the fact that Gonzaga crushed them in the start of the second half. That is a historically weak time for Gonzaga. That is a time period where Gonzaga often loses the handle on a game, whether it was already close and then they, they fall behind, whether they had a 10, 12 point lead that ends up disappearing. That has been a, a struggle point for Gonzaga. In this game, they went up 23 to two in the second half in the first six minutes. 23, they scored the first 12 minutes of the second half. And then after LMU finally scored, they scored nine more, or excuse me, 11 more, 23 to two to start the second half. Just took a game that was not super close. It was a 16 point halftime lead and just put it away in the first five minutes of the second half. Stan Johnson, the LMU coach, he had to call a timeout 90 seconds into the second half. This Gonzaga team was rolling all the way through. Other great things we saw, Luka Krenovich returned to the floor for the Zags. He's been out since before the UConn game with a hand injury. It was reported before the game he was going to be out another week. That ended up not being true. I came back and he he returned onto the floor with about seven minutes to go, finished with six points, including a pair from the free throw line. Really great to have him back. Really great to get those guards a little bit of a break. Jun Suk Yo played in this one as well. He had a, uh, two points on a fast break. He also had a board and a block. Normally, this is where we talk about the bad things. There's not a lot to talk about. There's really not a lot to talk about. Gonzaga struggled to rebound the basketball in the first half. That's the worst thing that happened in this game. They had one rebound in the first six minutes. Part of that is because LMU kept just giving the ball back to them, so they didn't need to rebound very much when the other team's not getting shots up and you're making all your shots. There's not going to be a lot of rebounds. But Gonzaga, two two rebounds in the first 11 minutes. They were out-rebounded 15-9 to in the first half. LMU had seven offensive rebounds. Gonzaga had nine total rebounds in the first half. Ultimately, Gonzaga closed the gap significantly. It ultimately it ended up being 33-30. LMU still won the battle on the boards, but that's much closer. And obviously, Gonzaga won that battle in the second half. But for a team that starts three big men, you'd like to see them rebound the basketball a little bit better. Outside of that, Ryan Nempard was pretty quiet in this one. Seven points, four assists. He was only two of nine shooting. That's really nitpicky in a game where they didn't need him to do much, so he didn't do much. I don't, you know, he didn't turn the ball over a bunch. Just a, a somewhat quiet game for him. Uh, bummed to see Joe Few get the opportunity to shoot technical free throws at the end of the game, and he missed both of them. Not not picking on Joe in particular. Just I'm sure the kennel was ready to explode for him hitting some buckets, and he wasn't able to do so. Well, Gonzaga did not succumb to the pressure of this game. They did not look ahead to St. Mary's. Two things that we were concerned about. They also fed the big fella just like we hoped that they would. We're going to talk more about all of that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The Super Bowl matchup, folks, it is officially here. San Francisco versus Kansas City. There is still time to get in on the action this year with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. The FanDuel app is super easy to use. There are so many different ways to bet. There are live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can also make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. The best way to find popular parlays right now, San Francisco, one-and-a-half-point favorites over the Chiefs. That line is likely going to change throughout the next 10 days or so. But if you want to get involved in that action, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags podcast. We're still talking Gonzaga's dominant win at home over LMU. Didn't even mention exercising the demons of losing to LMU at home last year. 
course, Gonzaga had already played LMU after that and beat them very handily on the road, but still very nice to restart the winning streak at the McCarthy Athletic Center against the LMU Lions. We're talking about my five keys to this game, how Gonzaga did with regards to those specific metrics and what it might mean for them going forward. Key number one was take care of the basketball. LMU as a team forces very few turnovers. Statistically coming into this game, they were one of the worst in the country in terms of the rate at which they forced turnovers. And Gonzaga continued that trend for LMU. They had one turnover in the first eight minutes of this game. They finished the first half with four turnovers. They only had five total in the entire game. They had one turnover in the second half, just took care of the basketball, got good looks around the rim. Uh, Ryan Nemhart again, we talked about him and, and needing to, to be better about that. Uh, him and Nolan Hickman combined for nine assists and just three turnovers. Really nice stuff from both of them. Nemhart had just one, four assists, one turnover from him. Really nice to see Gonzaga take good care of the basketball. We knew they were playing a team that doesn't force a lot of turnovers, so mostly what we were looking for is not making unforced errors. There was a few small ones. Ben Gregg traveled in a situation where he probably didn't need to travel. Uh, Nolan Hickman lost his dribble at one point. But like those those small few things happen every once in a while. Overall, Gonzaga's ability to take care of the ball was, was vital to Gonzaga's win uh, here on Tuesday night. Key number two is get the ball to Graham E.K. early, get it to him often, and get it to him all game long. That's what we wanted to see. He's been dominant in the second half of games for the last couple of weeks. Could he do it in the first half? And the answer was yes. He scored an alley-oop dunk on the first possession of the game. He got an and-one with Dominic Harris on him really early in the game. He was beating LMU by himself for the first few minutes of this contest. He finished the first half with 12 points on four of five shooting, finished the game with 20 points on eight of nine shooting. That's what we've kind of come to almost expect from Graham E.K. From, from having a conversation of like, well, he's not Drew Timmy. And to be clear, he's not because he's not doing it every single night. But 20 points on eight of nine shooting, that's that's Drew Timmy-like right there. That is the kind of uh, effectiveness, uh, ability to score around the rim. He's a good free throw shooter. He does a little bit of everything. He's a good defensive player. He didn't he didn't grab a lot of rebounds in this game. I think he actually only had two uh, in this contest, but 20 points on nine field goal attempts is fantastic. Uh, and again, we talked about that pick and roll. The Nolan Hickman, Graham EK pick and roll was really effective in this game. LMU had no answers for it. They were either coming behind Nolan Hickman, in which case he was driving to the basket and either finishing through contact or dumping it off to Graham EK. They just, they did not know how to handle this and, and Graham and Nolan really made them pay. Key number three was to dominate on the glass. Did not happen. Like we said, they did not, they got one rebound in the first eight minutes at for the First 15 minutes of this game, LMU had more offensive rebounds than Gonzaga had total rebounds. But again, part of that is Gonzaga didn't miss very many shots. They shot insanely efficient from the field. LMU didn't get as many shots up as you'd expect, in part because they play a slow, methodical offense, which we knew they were going to do, and because they kept giving the ball back to Gonzaga. There were multiple times there was three, four possessions in a row where LMU turned it over and Gonzaga made the shot on the other end, and it's like, well, there's no... There's no rebounds happening on either side because it's just not how the game flow really operated. So I am still concerned that Gonzaga has been getting out-rebounded fairly regularly in conference play. That is still an issue for Gonzaga. If you were to point to something in this game that you would kind of extrapolate as a bigger issue going forward, it would be that because there really wasn't anything else. The depth played great. Dusty Stromer played great. Getting Luka Krinovich back was great. Uh, Junsuk Yo played well. Like everything in this game that you wanted to see was good. The three-point shooting, the point guard play, the lack of turnovers, the low post scoring. But this team is not a great rebounding team. 
And that is going to hurt them against teams like St. Mary's. It's going to hurt them against Kentucky. It's going to hurt them in the WCC tournament. It's going to hurt them in the NCAA tournament. Those are things that Gonzaga needs to tighten up. They start three big men and they can't afford to keep getting out-rebounded by teams like LMU, even if the rest of this game was a complete domination from Gonzaga. It is something to keep in mind uh, and to, to kind of for Mark Few and the staff to work on going forward. Key number four and five were pretty similar here. Keep composure and don't look ahead. We knew there was going to be some emotion for this game. Dominic Harris returns to the kennel. He's former teammates with Nolan Hickman. He's former teammates with Anton Watson and Ben Gregg and Braden Huff and June Suk Yo. He's obviously played for Mark Few for a handful of years. He's friends with you know students. His faculty members were there. It's his old home. And we knew that that emotion was going to be there. We knew it was going to be there for Dom. We knew it was going to be there for the Gonzaga players, the coaching staff, the fans, the student section, and for LMU. They know, they feel the vibe. They understand this. Stan Johnson also came here and won last year, so they're feeling that as well. So there was a lot of kind of heightened emotion in this game. And Gonzaga handled it considerably better than LMU did. They were a better basketball team, which is obviously you don't beat a team by that many points if you're not a better basketball team, but they also were much more composed. And a lot of that is less about Gonzaga looking particularly composed, although they did, but LMU was a mess. I mean, they did, they did not look good at all. They were dribbling the ball off their feet. They were throwing the ball out of bounds, like we said. Like, they got really flustered really early in this game. And Gonzaga absolutely had a game plan to really shut down Dom. And I don't think this was some malicious game plan. Dom was their leading scorer coming into the game. Like, any game plan Mark Few has, he's won 700 games, and all of them have been predicated on how. How do we stop the other team's best player? So it's not like this was a, a surprising or particularly malicious game plan but it was an incredibly effective one. And I do think that no one had a little extra juice in him. I mean, blocking that shot on the first possession of the game, like he was, he, he was juiced. He was ready to stop Dominic Harris. He absolutely wanted to do that. Anton Watson got him on a block as well too. And I think that like, it's not like a, a disrespect thing. It's just a, Hey, you're our former teammate and we want to, you know, we, we, we want to play well against you. Just like you want to play well against us. Like that's kind of, that's that heightened sense of emotion and for Gonzaga coming off a week where things did not go well. Yes. They went two and zero last week, but it was not good. We know that we talked about it. The Pacific game was a mess. The San Francisco game, particularly at the end was a disaster. So to come in here with all of that baggage with all of the the stuff that Nolan has heard on social media about, you know, his performance this year and his performance last year and frustration with how he's playing and how the team's playing, for him to come out and do this and lead this team the way that he did when the other team could not handle the bright lights of the McCarthy Athletic Center, that was a really good moment for the Zags and one that I think they really can carry with them. And then key number five, again, don't look ahead. Don't use, and I think because there was some heightened emotion, it was more, it was easier for Gonzaga to avoid this because they got St. Mary's on Saturday. That's a huge game, a monster game. They know it. St. Mary's knows it. LMU knows it. Everybody knows it. And Gonzaga, it's, it's easy to do that, to kind of focus your energy farther ahead. You know, my co-host for the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, he hosts the Locked On Tar Heels show. North Carolina's playing Duke on Saturday. They played Georgia Tech on Tuesday night. They lost. First loss in ACC play. Part of that is probably looking ahead. They're focused on the Duke game. Georgia Tech's lost like six or seven in a row. They didn't think that Georgia Tech was going to beat them, and they did. Gonzaga did not fall for that. Not only did they not fall for it, they just blasted the team that they were playing. 
really good to see them carry that kind of momentum for the next couple of days into that game against St. Mary's. We're going to switch gears, talk some Zags uh, in the NBA, or pro Zags, I should say. Chet Holmgren was one of 41 players selected for consideration to represent the U.S. in the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about an injury for Drew Timmy, all that coming up. After a word from today's sponsor, Jace Medical. Look, I know we come to sports to escape from some of the realities of life, but like, can we take for, can we talk for a minute about preparing for those real life events? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. And I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if someone I love got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication that they needed. Thankfully, though, there's Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including respiratory infections, skin infections, and others. This stuff could happen to any one of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com, use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. All right, folks, closing out today's show, talking about Chet Holmgren. This news broke earlier last week. We didn't get to it. We had a lot of stuff we wanted to cover last week with the San Francisco game, the Pacific game. Uh, So we're a little late talking about this. But Chet Holmgren has been named to the Team USA player pool. 41 players were selected by managing director Grant Hill. Yes, that Grant Hill of Duke fame uh, to be selected to be potentially considered effectively to be on the 12 person team USA Olympic squad for the 2024 Olympics in Paris, France. And the, the fact that Chet was picked here does not mean he's going to be an Olympian. A lot of these guys aren't 29 out of these 41 players are not going to make team USA for the 12 man Olympics, but it puts him in a chance to play for the FIBA squad. It puts him in a spot to, to be kind of just part of that brotherhood, that camaraderie of players who are, in that conversation, in that consideration, the way that Kelly Olynyk has been a staple for Team Canada for close to a decade now. And Kevin Pangos is in those conversations uh, and, and, and others. And I think for, for Chet to be a part of this conversation already is a huge honor for him. It's a huge sign of respect from Grant Hill and all of Team USA and, and the entire USA basketball organization to believe that Chet is somebody who, you, whether it's 2024 or not, we'll talk about his odds of making it this year, uh, he's somebody that they're absolutely considering. Maybe they're thinking, hey, we want to have you a part of this. We want to have you w- practicing with the guys, you know, getting familiar with you know, where we practice, where we play, what this looks like, because we really want you for the 2028 Olympics and 2032. Like that might be what they have in mind for him. Uh, the list is going to, again, it's going to whittle down to 12. Historically, it is finalized in like June or July uh, of the year that the Olympics are happening. So I'd expect this to be to ironed out in, in June or July, effectively, six months or so to get from 41 to 12. Uh, there's some players who might be jump into this group who aren't currently a part of it. Obviously, many of these players will be cut. I'm not going to read all 41 players. That's too much. But I will talk about the bigs that are on this list in addition to Chet Holmgren. The competition effectively for what I imagine is two, probably three spots. I think Team USA will end up carrying three bigs. In the past, they haven't carried enough bigs, and it has hurt them from a physicality perspective uh, in those Olympic games. So the bigs that are being considered right now, Bam Adebayo from the Miami Heat, Jared Allen, Anthony Davis, uh, Joel Embiid, Jaron Jackson Jr., Walker Kessler, 
Bobby Portis. Those are the bigs right now that Chet is competing with. The expectation is that Joel Embiid is going to play. He has rejected France and Cameroon, where he was eligible to compete with their Olympic squads. So if he's healthy, which is a big if with Joel Embiid, if he's healthy, he's expected to play. I believe it'll probably be Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and Bam Adebayo. If all three of those players want to play, I think that is who they ended up going with. But if things change, if somebody's hurt, if somebody's unwilling to play, if the staff decides they want to go with, you know, somebody who can space the floor a little bit more, I could see Chet being a part of that conversation. Ultimately, I think Chet's probably a 2028 Olympian, maybe a 2032 Olympian. I'm not sure he's there in 2024, but again, to be a part of this conversation is a huge honor for him. He was also named to the Rising Stars Challenge. This happened far more recently. This happened on Tuesday before the Zags game against LMU. Uh, 21 combined rookies and sophomores were selected for this event. They also selected seven G League players. Those 28 players will be broken up into four different teams. They will play a mini kind of round-robin tournament. Uh, This is set for February 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific time in the GameBridge Fieldhouse. Uh, it is. I think uh, Theo Lawson posted the tweet. I don't remember the exact figures, but I believe it's five years in a row, four or five years in a row that Gonzaga has had at least one participant in the Rising Stars Challenge. Uh, this year, Chet is the only one. He's obviously one of the 11 rookies who was selected. Uh, there was no Julian Strother among the rookies. There was no Andrew Nembhard among the sophomores. Those were the two kind of other candidates that could have been a part of this conversation. Holmgren, of course, selected alongside Victor Wembanyama, alongside Scoot Henderson of the Portland Trailblazers, Brandon Miller of the Charlotte Hornets, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, really fun to see how Chet's going to be able to do in that environment. He's struggled a little bit lately, still averaging a little under 17 points, seven and a half boards, 2.7 assists, 2.6 blocks per game. Uh, his effective field goal percentage is still 59.8, which is outstanding. He's still shooting 37 and a half percent from three. He had a really fun, emotional game against Victor Wembanyama and the Spurs uh, a few, like a week or so ago. Uh, Chet's team ended up winning. He had 17 and nine along with three blocks. There was a lot of heightened emotion between those two guys i think that's going to be a really fantastic rivalry especially if they stay where they are oklahoma city versus san antonio i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of fun battles between those two in the future want to end the show with a, a bit of a bummer note unfortunately drew timmy for those of you who were watching the game on tuesday you heard sean farna mention this on the broadcast has reportedly suffered a fractured foot uh, I, at the time of this recording, shortly after the game ended, I had not seen any official reports on the severity of this, on the exact situation. I trust Sean. Uh, it sounds like his source was directly from Drew Timmy himself. Uh, so I, it sounds like he's going to be out for a while. I've been playing with the Wisconsin Herd in the G League. He's played 12 games with the Herd, averaging about 21 minutes a game, uh, 9.6.2 boards and a little under two assists for him. Uh, Malachi Smith, of course, former Zag from last year as well, was just recently traded from the Rip City Remix in Portland to the Wisconsin Herd. Him and Drew Timmy are now teammates playing together in the G League, but sounds like Drew might be on the shelf for a little bit. If we get a, a firmer update on that, certainly let you know on a future episode. But that is going to wrap it up for us today. We'll be back on Thursday with a big old recruiting update. There's been some updates on Isaiah Harwell's health, handful of other Zags that are being, or recruits that are being pursued by the Zags, some new names that we haven't talked about yet here on Locked on Zags. We're going to cover all of that on Thursday. And then on Friday, it's the big one. We are getting you ready for Gonzaga versus St. Mary's. It is Gales Gone Mild Week. And we're going to talk about that all on Friday. So thank you so much to those of you who have made this show your first listen 
or your first watch of the day. Join us in the Discord channel if you have not done so yet. It's free to join. There's a link in the show notes. We're going to be getting you all ready for that St. Mary's game talking throughout the week. That's where we're getting a lot of our recruiting updates uh, about like new players the Zags are pursuing all coming through on that Discord channel as well. Thanks again for listening. And until Thursday, as always, go Zags.